you know, most of us, when we hear about the sort of faith that moves mountains, well, most of us expect to move the mountains we want to move. We expect to see the results, to benefit from them, to revel in them. But that's not always the way it works. I'm Bernie Diamond and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're continuing with the next message in this series called Having Faith That Moves Mountains, taking a look at your faith during the tough times. Now let's dive into God's Word and see what He has for us. It's great to be back with you again this week. And if you had the chance to join me over the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been taking a look at faith, the sort of faith that moves mountains. And we had a look at a couple of real life stories, the story of Abraham and Sarah. Man, they definitely needed faith. And yet they made so many boo-boos along the way. And then the story of an incompetent king and these four lepers. That's what we looked at last week on the program. And both of those stories, well, they weren't, what perhaps you might have expected. Abraham and Sarah were so imperfect in their faith, and the second story of the siege and God's blessing, none of God's people showed any faith at all. And then these four lepers, with really no alternative, stumble out into God's blessing. I wonder in a series called Having Faith That Moves Mountains, what sort of stories you expected? Stories about characters and people who'd shown this mighty faith. Stories of people, real people, who had such a mighty faith that they could single-handedly cast a mountain into the sea. And when you and I, when we look at our own lives and our own situations, what do we expect of ourselves? What sort of faith, what sort of journey do we expect? I'll tell you what I expected when I gave my life to Jesus a decade and a half ago. I expected an easy ride. I expected that despite what the Bible said, despite what the preacher up the front on Sunday morning said, and I was blessed with a really good teacher, and despite what happened to Jesus, I would have an easy ride of it. That I'd crash through brick walls, that that the problems would all go away, that everything I touched would turn to gold. And yet the more that I got myself into understanding God in his word, the more I discovered fantastic promises like, in this world you will face tribulation. And yet I found those things, but I still wanted to cling on to this notion that I would have an easy ride of it, that that I was somehow special and different, and this tribulation thing was for the rest of you. You could go and travel the difficult roads, but, but not me. The only direction for me is up. That's it. I'm not accepting anything else. And as I look back on those years since I gave my life over to Jesus as my Saviour and Lord, there are some fantastic stories to tell. He's done such amazing things in me and around me. He's involved me in things that I could never have dreamed up for myself. But there have been long and winding roads. There have been storms. There have been times when I felt completely alone. There were times when I wouldn't have dared dream up a title for a bunch of radio programs like like Having Faith That Moves Mountains. And those times just didn't fit with my plan because my plan was so much like the world's plan. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Success. I mean, success is about bigger, better, faster, richer. Success is about other people looking at our lives and saying, oh, he's truly blessed. 
And at some point it dawned on me, I, I can't remember exactly when, that my plan wasn't God's plan. It's tragic, but it's true. Even though I, I'd kind of laid my life down at his feet as completely and as utterly as I was able, I still had a plan for success. And for a long time, my plan and God's plan were tearing me apart. But the problem was, I couldn't have described it as neatly as I just have to you now. I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was, but something wasn't right. I wanted to do great things for God, but it was on my terms and not on his. I wanted to work hard and succeed at being a Christian. I wanted to make a difference in the world for him. But there was something, something that had to give. It was that something that I want to talk about this week to put it under a magnifying glass, to hold it up and look at it from this angle and from that, so that together we can identify it and name it. What exactly are we missing? Could it be that our template of success, yours and mine, isn't the same as God's? Could it be that the pattern we're carrying around in our heads, the glasses through which we see things, are distorting our view? That we're chasing after something that, that really isn't there? Something that really doesn't work? One thing that I've discovered in life is that something that works well over in this situation can be a complete failure over in that situation. I worked as a consultant in the IT industry for many years. That took me into well over 200 organisations around the world and it just never ceased to amaze me that whilst my experience and knowledge grew with each project and assignment, it wasn't possible to take the approach that we used for Company X last year and use it in Company Y this year because the context and the culture were invariably different. Each organisation has its own unique blend of rules and relationships. This one was flexible entrepreneurial. That one was more structured. This one was risk-averse. That one was more open to risk-taking. This one had had a bad project two years ago and everybody remembered that, whilst the other one hadn't. And so what I discovered after a few years of doing this over and over again and with the benefit of, of hindsight, it's very easy to see, is that the template for success was different in each organisation, in each circumstance. The most important thing to do was to figure out what success looked like for each client organisation in order that we could shape a project and an outcome that was successful for them. And after a while, I figured out that the template for success in the kingdom of this world is different, I mean radically different, to the template of success in the kingdom of God. And the tension that was going on inside me as I was striving so hard to succeed in this new kingdom, God's kingdom, was because I was striving for the wrong things. Things that in God's eyes didn't even constitute success. You see, my context and the culture had changed from the world's kingdom to God's kingdom. And, and I was still trying to be successful the old way, the world's way, in a way that was never going to be successful in God's kingdom. As I said, my model for success was based on the onwards and upwards idea, always going forward, never taking a step back. And to be honest, you see, a lot of that brand of success is floating around in God's church today. It's the world's approach and not God's. It turns out that God's template for success is based on something that I'd never, ever in my wildest dreams have thought would be related to success. A word that I'd never used in the same sentence as success. That word 
is vulnerability. And that's what we're going to talk about after this break. Now, here's a scary thought. If I say I love God, if I say that actually Jesus isn't just the Son of God who saved me by dying on the cross, but he's also the Lord of my life. If that's what I hold out there as being what I believe, well, what if I start hurling my faith at mountains that he doesn't want moved? What if I'm pulling in one direction and he's pulling in another? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out who's going to win that little battle, do you? And that's the thing with faith. I see so many people exhausting themselves because we want what we want. And the Bible says, I can have anything I want if I have enough faith. And so we kind of, well, we abuse this whole faith thing. And I have to tell you from my own experience, it's just exhausting to pull against God. Whereas when I'm going with him, there's a real holy ease about it. doesn't mean that everything's always easy, But what it means is that it just kind of flows. Even when there are challenges and obstacles and mountains, it just flows. And to do that, to pull in God's direction, we have to redefine what we mean by success. If we want to pull in the same direction as God, we need to figure out what success means for him and go with that, don't we? The most power-packed chapter on faith in the Bible would have to be Hebrews chapter 11. But it seems the only two verses people ever seem to quote are these. Verse 1, which says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And verse 6, Without faith it's impossible to please God, for whoever would approach him must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And to be sure, they're mighty scripture verses. But my hunch is that the reason we like to pluck those out of the chapter all on their own, is that they kind of fit nicely with the world's template of success. At least they don't contradict it. But let's take a look at the rest of this chapter. It's about faith, but maybe not quite the sort of faith that we really want to hear about. It goes on to list a whole bunch of Old Testament Bible characters, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Samson, David, Samuel, and the prophets. It says, these great men of faith, who through their faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenching raging fire, escaped the edge of sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 33 and 34. Now, that's certainly the faith that you and I are looking for, isn't it? But look at what it says in the very next breath about these men, beginning at verse 35. But others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Seems we'd be quite happy to receive the first part of the equation, the accolades reserved for the heroes thus named. But which one of us, which one, I ask, would be happy to be numbered amongst the others, those 
other men and women of faith not named. I mean, which one of us kind of reads that passage about being tortured and all that stuff and shouts, hallelujah? No, we want to be on the Bible A-list like Abraham. We want to receive the mighty promises of God, not in 20 years' time, not next year, not even next week. We want it now, delivered like a hamburger through the chute at the fast food outlet, right? And yet even Abraham, one of the named heroes, he didn't receive all that was promised. He never saw the great and mighty nation, nor the promised land filled with his descendants. And these others, they were prepared for a template of a success quite different to that which the world's dropped on our heads. A template based on complete vulnerability in the hands of God. Complete and glad surrender to his will, no matter where that might lead. Some tasted success. Some were called to conquer kingdoms, administer justice, obtain promises, shut the mouths of lions, quench raging fire, escape the edge of the sword, win strength out of weakness, become mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. But others, others were called to be tortured, suffer mocking and flogging. These were called into chains and imprisonment, to be stoned to death, to be sawn in two, to be killed by the sword, to go about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented. Listen to me. Even the biblical A-list, even Abraham, Moses, David, the prophets, the disciples, Paul, were hounded, rejected, suffered hardship, and yet they achieved mighty things in faith that glorified not them, God. You see how different God's template of success is to our own? And as I read Hebrews chapter 11, and let God do his work in my heart by his word and his spirit, as I read of many of these men and women in the Bible who sacrificed their all for God, I can only come to the conclusion that faith is this, embracing the journey that God has set before us, no matter what the cost, no matter what we may lose, so that he would be glorified in all the earth. Do me a favour. Take some time to read the Lord's Prayer in the next day or two. Because as we explore just that simple prayer, what we discover that Jesus is teaching us is that the key that unlocks the power of praying is the glad submission of the prayer to the will of God. Complete vulnerability in the hands of God, complete submission to his will, and a desire to see his name lifted up above all things, that's what I discover the definition of faith to be as I read Hebrews chapter 11. That's the sort of faith that moves mountains. In fact, it's the only sort of faith that moves mountains. Let's face it, we want life to be comfortable. Who doesn't? In fact, people go into debt to have more to be comfortable and then when the economy takes a massive nosedive, as it always does, they lose everything because of their debt and their world's shattered. It's our instinct. It's who we are. Very few people on planet Earth ever learn to be content with who they are and what they have. And here it is, very few people ever embrace the journey that God's got them on with all its ups and downs. You know why I think that is? Because deep down we're still living our lives for us, thinking that's where we'll find satisfaction rather than for God, which is actually where true joy and true satisfaction are to be found. At 
some point in our lives, we need to wake up to the fact that living a life of faith is about living a life for God and not for us. And it's at that point that that sense that something's not quite right goes away. It's when we ditch the worldly template of success that it goes away. When we embrace wholeheartedly with every fibre of our being what Jesus taught when he said, if any of you want to become my followers, then deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their lives? Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 36. I was listening to a man the other day, Tim, telling the story of the last decade or so of his life. In his early 20s, he finally gave his life over to Jesus with all his heart. He set out on a journey of starting and growing a business with the intention of not only providing a living for himself and his business partner, but also for using the wealth and expertise of the business specifically and intentionally for the glory of God. But the business went from bad to worse. It didn't make sense. He had a house to sell, but it just wouldn't sell. It came to the point where they were relying on food parcels to get by. Tim spoke of having dark nights of the soul every night of the week, and in the middle of all that, as he was wondering what for the love of God was going on, he felt God say to him, Tim, do you have faith to live a life that doesn't matter? The question came at the point when he couldn't take it anymore. He struggled with a question. He answered yes. It was the beginning of change. It was the point at which his business slowly started to turn around, little by little. And not long after that, the call of God on both Tim and his business partner became clear. Strangely, as he was sharing this story with me and a group of other men, he used that same word that had been going around in my mind in putting together this series of programs. Tim talked about being forever vulnerable in God's hands and adopting a spirit of vulnerability. Here's the bottom line. Tim embraced his journey. So many people are struggling with the journey that they're on because they're applying the world's template of success rather than God's. And that's something that tears us apart. Even if we can't quite put our finger on it, it's not until we understand that journey is handmade for us that we can let go and be vulnerable. Listen to what the psalmist says. God, it was you who made my inner parts. You knit me together in my mother's wombs. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were formed for me when as yet none of them existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! See, here's someone who puts the two together. He realises that not only is he who God made him to be, but every step of his journey was planned even before any of them ever existed, before time began. And in that knowledge, the psalmist stands in complete awe of God. Who he is fits perfectly with the journey that God's got him on, even if it doesn't always seem that way. Please, please listen to me. It is time to embrace the journey the particular journey that God has us on. You, yours, and me, mine. Faith isn't about fighting that journey. It's not about wrestling with God and and commanding mountains to fall into the ocean that God planned all along should be there for all time. 
No doubt there are things in our lives that the Master would change. But first and foremost, he would have us forever vulnerable in his hands. As the Apostle Paul puts it, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 9. Paul discovered that no amount of faith will undo God's plans, however uncomfortable they might be. And it's one such as this who's ready for a faith that can move mountains. Because it is one such as this whose heart is to move only the mountains that God wants moved. The faith that Jesus spoke of is not a faith that wrestles with God. Even though his plans are often incomprehensible, it's one that cooperates fully with the plans and the purposes of God, no matter what it may cost. And what a mighty life will that be. Listen up. The world has dropped a template of success into our minds that's all about achieving things that the world values. Fame, fortune, recognition, wealth. But God's template of success is about vulnerability. It's about a life laid down at his feet to do his bidding, no matter what the cost. Until we lay down the world's plan and take up his, we'll be torn inside. Faith isn't given to us to work against God's plans. It's given to us to achieve the plans of God. A life thus surrendered is ready for the sort of faith that moves mountains. Just before we go, I'd like to tell you about a free gift that we'd love to send you to help you experience the power of God more and more in your life. Each month, Bernie writes a new life application booklet around the sorts of issues that we all deal with in life. It's designed to take you deeper into God's word and then to help you live out what you've discovered. It's about helping you experience God's love and power in your faith walk. To request the latest e-booklet, visit ChristianityWorks.org and you'll see that free offer towards the top of the homepage. I'm believing that it'll be a mighty blessing to you. Again, that web address is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer. You've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Dimet, and we'll catch you again next time. Mm-hmm.